0: That's more like You may be seated. We weren't shouting for the band. Oh, that was awesome what job they did. We're shouting that for what we just sang. I mean, some of you, you clap more at a football game than you do here in church. You know, and uh, I just wonder how loud you've been clapping. If the Cowboys would have won last weekend, you'd uh, yeah, i like to hear that kind of clapping in here and celebration and worship what God is doing. Uh, if you're a guest, welcome. We're really glad you're here. I know some of you here because of witnessing baptisms and people joining the church, and uh, some of you here because you heard we're doing this crazy family message series and uh, you kind of relate to being in a crazy family. Or, Or maybe you just moved here from somewhere uh, you're just looking for a place to worship. Regardless, we're so glad that you're here. We'd love to meet you and have interaction with you. Uh, please stop out by the crossing, by the welcome center after worship. I'd love just to say hello to you. If you're online, email in, check in with us. Uh, let us know what's going on. We'd like to connect with you in a more meaningful, well, mean, meaningful well way as well. Now. Some of you here and you turn to your neighbor, you see a high five because you're here two weeks in a row, right? I mean you start off the new year two weeks in a row and you're in line for a prize. Whoop whoop, right? A prime parking. Remember, you check in on your phone, Facebook, Instagram, make it public that you're here, and we're going to draw out some names in the end of six weeks. if you've been naughty you know he's naughty and nice, the nice people, you're going to get parking, and some crazy family is going to get a crazy night out on the town, so don't miss out on that, so make sure you do that. I'm not going to remind you every weekend. Don't have time, but make sure you do that, OK? Now, I want to show you where we're going in this message series. So, we're going to put on the screen here the the six weeks. I should have done this last weekend, uh, just an oversight on my part. Uh, Last weekend, we talked about what children need. Uh, We covered today, we're going to talk about dysfunctionality in a family. And I'm just going to say this straight out on the front end. This is not going to be a feel-good morning, okay? And we always believe in living in hope, and we're going to try to give a little bit, but we're just going to do some brutal facts Brutal facts about families and kind of wake some of us up, maybe to deal with some stuff in a healthy way. Then next week, we're going to talk about God's plan for the family. Going to lay it out the word, what is God's plan for the family. And then we're going to kind of have a panel of experts, and so we're going to talk about creating a healthy network in the family. How do you create a culture in your family for it to be healthy? So we're going to have some folks come. We're going to have a conversation up here. Then we're going to redefine marriage, what the Bible has to say about marriage, and intimacy. I mean, really what intimacy is. And then uh, we're going to talk about that old bugaboo that takes so many families under, and that's money. About how you manage your money and the tension that's created in marriage, particularly over finances. And uh, we hope this is going to be helpful to you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, or they'll bring one to you. We're going to work through the scripture this morning. I think you'll benefit from having it in your hands. We're not going to tell a whole lot of stories. Uh, I'm not going to tell a lot of stories about my family this morning like we did last week. We're going to look at a story in the Bible. That's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on a family story in the Bible. And so you may find this helpful. Go to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. That's where we're going to start. But really, we're starting at the end. And then we're going to go to Genesis 37 and work our way through a story of a very dysfunctional family that got healthy. And we're going to kind of see some of the things that help make that happen. Now, let's do a little review from last weekend. And if you're new here, I want to remind you, you can download our church app. You can download it as a podcast. Or you can go onto Facebook, and we're doing this live right now. Or Also, you can go to our, to our website, and you can find the message from last week. And I would encourage you to do that uh, so you kind of catch up on where we are. But I'm going to give you a quick overview of what we talked about and one point that I didn't even address last week because we ran out of time. In healthy families, and this is really about healthy families, in healthy families, children need to know and they know they're irrationally loved. And so the question came up this week, what does it really mean for your children to know they are irrationally loved? That means that you love them no matter what, and they don't have to do anything or return anything to you. That as a parent, there's no transaction of that child doing anything to make you feel better about you. That kid just knows you love them because they're a kid, period. With no expectations, no conditions, period. And sometimes we parents, we're a little unhealthy. We need our kids to build us up and reaffirm our little feelings. And also now the kids becoming the parent. Irrational. They just know they're safe and they are crazy loved. Secondly, as kids need to know about limits and boundaries and that the family has them. I cannot tell you the number of emails and texts and thank yous I got from teachers and coaches last weekend. that your kids, our kids, are out of control at school. And it's like they have no understanding of self-discipline and self-control and respecting people in authority. I wanna, you got to get this right, parents. You cannot just because you're tired and you're weary and worn down Allow your kids to get away with whatever and not have the boundaries and un- understanding the limits, and they know what they are. They've got to know what they are where it's very clear and what the expectations are. You've got to get it right. And the third one, we didn't really talk about it last weekend, is that kids need from their parents a clear vision of their future. They need a picture of their future. Now, this is something I think a lot of us parents, we kind of misunderstand what that means. When a child is born, when they're very young, uh, they start saying, when I grow up, I want to be, and they start imagining stuff. What's some of the stuff they say? What do they say? I want to be what? I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a what? A singer, a rock star. I want to be a what? What? Pandacology. Paleontologist. Man, that's a big word for a small child. Woo, my kids, born in the wrong family, I never thought that. (laughs) Good for y'all. But these kids, when they're young, they start having these dreams, I wanna grow up and I wanna be this. And that's all good and well. When they get to be in the seventh or eighth grade, here are the questions kids start asking internally themselves, what do my parents want me to become? By the eighth grade, they're beginning to ask, what do my parents think I'm smart enough are good enough to become, Hmm. that transitions as they get older into early parts of high school, what do I want to do or become in spite of what my parents want? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And that's where the rub happens with the parents. Now, you've heard Dallas and I had three sons. My dad is an ordained pastor. My dad had an uncle, who was kind of like a dad figure, also ordained pastor. I have three boys. Good people in this church, when they were growing up, said, listen, aren't you going to grow up to be a pastor just like your dad? And I know it was well-intentioned and well-meaned by a lot of people. And they'd come home to me and say, Dad? Do I have to grow up? Or I said, have to? What do you mean, have to? Do I have to grow up and be a pastor like you? I said, no. You don't. When I would lay down at bed beside them at night, and after I had prayed over them and I had said how great they were, and before I'm about to leave, I would say something like this You know what, guys? There's only really two big things your dad wants over your life. This is my picture, this is my vision for your future. One, Love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Second is to find God's purpose for your life and to live it joyfully. I didn't add, and I want you to go to this particular college. (laughs) And you got to make a job that has a six-figure number, and you got to take care of your mom and dad your whole life and live in the house right next door to us. Or And you got to take over the family business. If you tell your kids to do that, some of them will. And when they do, it's going to be a train wreck. And they're going to have a loss of identity, tension between you and them. And you will have made decisions for their life that weren't your right to make, parents. It's their life. It's not yours. Love God, everything you got, find his purpose for your life, and I'll cheer you on. I'll cheer, I'll cheer, I'll cheer, I'll cheer. Kids need that. They don't need your baggage heaped upon them, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And this. Now, we're going to talk about dysfunctional families this morning, and it's a very sensitive subject. I just laid out for you some things, and those three things that kids need, that's a healthy family. That's healthy. We're going to kind of paint a picture of what an unhealthy family looks like this morning. And uh, we'll have a little bit of help and hope But primarily, if you're going to get healthy, you first got to recognize the places in your family that need attention. And stop living in denial and get honest about the changes that need to be made. That's what you got to do first. So we're going to be in the Word here in a second. But I'm going to kind of help you, first of all, kind of grab your head around what is a dysfunctional family? What does it look like? What are some of the things that make a family dysfunctional? Here's kind of an overriding definition. A dysfunctional family is where there is ongoing pervasive conflict or abuse or misbehavior by one person. It only takes one person that's tolerated and it continues in cycles over and over and over and over again and everybody's okay with it. And so dysfunction becomes normal, and it's not normal, and it's not healthy. In a dysfunctional family, there's usually one parent, one adult, maybe it's an older teen, that's misbehaving, that's allowed to be abusive, to not follow boundaries, and it's tolerated. There's somebody else. Who kind of placates and takes care of, makes it okay, there's usually a third person, a triangle person, who kind of takes all the blame for it. Let me kind of redefine this for you. I'm going to give you roles that kind of exist in a dysfunctional family. Usually there's someone that's called the enabler. The enabler is someone who protects the person who's misbehaving and makes excuses for them. The second role in a dysfunctional family is the hero. That is the person who feels like it's their job to make everybody else feel in the world our family's okay, it's normal, it's healthy, and you're a perfectionist, and you work really hard to make everything on the outside look good because you know on the inside it's a mess. That's the hero. Third is the scapegoat, and the scapegoat is most often a child or a young teenager who sees the craziness' going on in the family, and they act out subconsciously, on purpose, to take the attention off the real problem, because the child acting up was considered to be normal. Now, sometimes in families there are two other things that happens in a family where there's dysfunction, particularly with children. And one of them's called, we call it the mascot or, or the clown, and that is the child who's always acting up being funny. And they try to be funny all the time because to break the tension of not talking about all the crazy going on in the household, the conflict, the anger, the spewing and everything. Or the child who is the loner. If you have a child in your house who's always going into their own room and staying by themselves all the time, not just because of the Fortnite thing or video games, I'm not talking about that sort of crazy. That's crazy, I'm just saying. (laughs) that You tolerate that, that's crazy, I'm just saying. Hours and hours and hours, really? But they go to be by themselves, and they're inward, and they're shy, and they don't talk, and they become a loner to protect themselves from what's going on. Those are some of the roles in a family that's functioning in a very dysfunctional way. And here's some of the things that happen that you might be able to pinpoint if maybe your family, and we all have some sort of dysfunction, okay? This is not for judgment. This is not for condemnation. This is to help, okay? This is to help. But just for your awareness, awareness is is the beginning of getting healthy. Here are some things that exist in a family that really has a a problem with dysfunction, and that is that vacation and holidays are dreaded. That's one of the big ones. Kids particularly dread holidays, and they dread vacations. Uh, they, they never, uh, kids grow up thinking, I'm never going to be a parent like my mom. i never going to be a parent like my dad. Uh, parents sleep in separate bedrooms often, and the kids know it, and they're aware that mom has a room and dad has a room. Uh, the family lives in silence a lot where nobody's talking to each other. It's just kind of a, a little bit of silence is normal. We're talking about days that go into weeks. Uh, there's a double message where a dad will spank, punish, punish, punish hard, or even hit and say, I love you, I love you. Hit again and say, I love you. Or, hey, I'll be there for your game, but I got to stop and have a drink. I'll be there for your game, but I got to stop off and do this, and the parent never shows up, and the kid always gets a double message. Hey, I got to work late. Or you know your dad, he's just got some stuff to do, he really loves you, but then dad doesn't show up. The kid gets double messages, and there's nothing they can count on. There's no predictability, there's no regular structure, there's people pleasers, there's the blame game. There's always this shame going on. There's control with money and gifts. Grandparents, it is dysfunctional when a grandparent says, If you will do this, then I will gift you with this. If you don't show up for Thanksgiving, if you don't show up for Christmas when I want, then da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That is dysfunction. When you put expectations upon someone and then you withhold something if they don't meet the expectation. Parents do that. In very unhealthy ways sometimes. Dismissive. Somebody brings up the issue, you say, no, 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 that's not a real problem. You just kind of cover it up or living in denial. Another one is role reversal where the parents find themselves in upheaval and a young teenager or child has to be the parent and calm everything down and to come in to rescue the parents from their conversation by being alone or by being funny, by doing something to distract and break up the conflict. Role reversal. Another one is controlling. When there's someone in the household that is controlling and they got this little thumb on everybody and everything and they have to know everything and there's no healthy boundaries, there's no privacy they have to know everything about everything about everybody highly dysfunctional now we all have some measure of dysfunction the question is is it destructive is it destroying future kid generations in our families I want to remind you of our Bible verse. Our Bible verse, our memory verse is Colossians 1.17. We're going to put it on the screen. I want you to memorize this, and I want you to understand what it means. Colossians 1.17, say it with me, please. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. Now, please catch this. In a dysfunctional family. Sometimes Jesus is not going to be the one by himself to hold dysfunction together because you don't want dysfunction to hold you together. You want health to hold you together. That means one person, one person in a family who gets right with Jesus and he's holding them together. If you're in a dysfunctional family, you need to figure out what that means. For Jesus to hold you together. And it's not just believing in Jesus. I know so many people say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. You come to church, I believe in Jesus. In fact, there's some of you here this morning, you don't believe in Jesus, but you're here. Because you're desperate. Because your family's in trouble or whatever, and you just kind of hurt. I I, I, you're desperate. And you're not even sure if you really believe in this thing. Here's what I want you to get. The teachings of Jesus. If you will practice the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it'll totally change your family. Just go read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And even if you don't believe in him, you practice what he teaches, and your family will get healthier if one person does it. But at least one person has to in the family. Now let's turn to Genesis chapter 50. And we're beginning to read a story, and I'm going to do this kind of quick, quick as I can. we got a lot to do, give you a lot of information, not a lot of inspiration, a lot of overload information this morning, I'm just saying. So here we go. Look at the very, this is, the, this is a happy ending to a dysfunctional story. Chapter 15, verse 50, uh, excuse me, chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us, pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're saying to say to Joseph. Joseph, I ask you to forgive your brothers. Forgive the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father, And when the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done in our family. And the saving of many lives. To get healthy, salvation, wholeness. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you. And your children, and he reassured them, and he spoke. How did he speak to them? He spoke what? What's the word? Kindly, Kindly to them. Now, this is a long story. Now, I'm gonna do Cliff Notes version in a moment, but it has a happy ending. But I'm gonna begin here by giving you two basic fundamental characteristics of a dysfunctional family and a healthy family that we get from this story. Letter A of number one, dysfunctional families hurt people hurt people. In dysfunctional families, there's this continual cycle that someone is hurt, and they start hurting others. Now, there's two different ways this happens. Number one is, so often, hurt people will turn the hurt inward, and they'll self-destruct You show me someone in the family who has addiction, who has pervasive depression, who's always beating himself up. There is a hurt inside of them, a deep wound inside of them, and they're trying to medicate themselves, but they're really over-hurting themselves. And also the other extreme, they take that hurt and do it outwards. And so now I'm going to blame everybody else. I'm going to shame everybody else. I'm going to lash out at everybody. Those two extremes. Now please hear this. Please hear this. We are all responsible for our actions. There comes a point you've got to stop blaming your mommy and daddy for why you are the way you are. You just got to stop it. But at the same time, I think it's wise for all of us and our families to understand when someone is acting inappropriately in some way, either inwardly or outwardly, it's because on the inside they have been wounded and they came out of an unhealthy situation and they're lashing out or turning inward. And compassion sometimes is needed and strength to stay the course till they wake up and they get it. Hurt people hurt people. It's a cycle. Somebody's got to stop the cycle. Somebody does. And secondly, in healthy families, healthy people, free people, free people. That once you, one person experience the freedom that is in Jesus Christ, the wholeness, the forgiveness, the mercy of being set free from all the junk of the family. When you figure that out, your greatest desire is you want everybody else to be free. I'll not be carrying the family baggage, the guilt of mom and dad and granddad and great-grandparents and the drunk and the alcoholic. You want them to know that, but you got to get healthy first. That was my whole point. You have to get healthy yourself. You can't fix anyone. And that's what happens in dysfunctional families. Unhealthy people try to fix unhealthy people. But freed people set other people free. That's just what happens. Now, let's go to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. I have about 12 to 15 minutes to go through 13 chapters. (laughs) So you're going to notice in your message notes on the backside we have life steps. And you're going to see there's about three or four questions at the top. And I'm going to ask you this week to read this whole story, verse by verse, chapters 37 through 50, and do a little evaluation of your family, healthy or functional, reading this whole story. I'm just going to kind of guide you through a little bit of it, kind of skip to help you. The real work is going to be done by you in your home. This is a for example. If your, ha- your family is going to get healthy, you've got to do the work. I can't rescue and save your family. You've got to do the work. So, I'm just going to challenge you to do that. I'm going to try to help you lay some stuff out here this week. So here's a story, kind of understand the story. Genesis chapter 37, we have this young man whose name is Joseph. He has 11 brothers, big family. His dad's name is Jacob or Israel. And we see right here at verse 3 of chapter 37 that Joseph was loved by his dad more than his other brothers. Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons. You have one child in a family who truly believes they are loved more by mom and dad, you got trouble. You have trouble. And I promise you, parents, your kids know. Your kids know. These living brothers, they knew. They had a sense that God, that Joseph was loved by the dad more than them. And then the dad makes an awful mistake in the family tree. He gives his son, that was his favorite, this ornate robe or a jacket. And the other brothers doesn't get it. In verse 4 it says, when the brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they all hated him and they couldn't speak a kind word to him. In your notes, hurt people will eventually hate people. And here's why you hate people. Hate is a learned behavior to protect yourself from on the inside of you, which you can't understand, and to protect yourself from having to deal with someone you don't get. So if you just hate, it causes this wall where you don't have to deal with the real issues. That's really all hate is. It's a barrier that you put up to protect yourself. It's a defense mechanism so you don't have to deal with what's really going on. Because when you hate people, you just push it apart. And so in families, eventually dysfunctional, hurt people will hate people. It says over and over again, they hated him. And down there in verse 8, he hated him more. I mean, he just kept on hate. And part of the hate was that Joseph was the favorite, not just by the dad, the earthly dad, but by God. Because God gave Joseph a gift of interpreting dreams. In other words, he put favor on Joseph. Now, in your nose, healthy families and healthy families favored people Favor people. So if you have favor in the family, and a lot of people do in your family have favor, you're going to use your favor to favor everybody else. Now, eventually that happens. And you say, well, what is favor? Biblically, let me teach you. Here's what favor is. A little teaching moment. Favor is a gift. It's not something you asked for. It's not something you could ever acquire on your own. It's something supernaturally given to you by God that you don't deserve. But you got it. You can't earn it. You can't even ask for it. For example, some of you were born into families that were extremely athletic. And so... You're a kid, or you were a young man or a young lady, and you were just naturally athletic. That's just favor. You were born into a house where parents were musical or mechanically inclined, or intelligent engineering, and boy, you, you just kind of rubbed in your genes, and you're that way too. That's favor. You didn't ask for it. Some of you are raised into families that have this, uh, this high metabolism. You can eat whatever you want. Some of you, you just walk by ice cream and it sticks to you. <laughs> right? I mean, you didn't ask for it. That's just kind of the way it is. It's just favor or curse, however you want to look at it, right? I mean, Dallas and I, uh, our boys and our lives, uh, we have so much favor in our life. Um, I'll say this about my three men, my sisters. I mentioned this last week. I don't know why. I, I don't. I don't. I didn't ask for it. I didn't deserve it. I was raised in a home with a mom and a dad, and they're probably watching right now online from their home. My dad's not doing too good. So, Dad, I love you. I'm praying for you, Dad. Even right now, I'm thinking about you. I want you to know that, Dad. And uh, I'll come by to see you tonight and check on you. Okay? I'll, I'll be there. Uh, it's that uh, my, my mom and dad. They they will both will tell you that their families were not that functional as they came from. There was a lot of dysfunction in both their family trees, but somehow when they got married, they kind of figured something out that they wanted to have a healthy family. And so me and my sisters, we grew up in a home where we knew we were rationally loved. I told you this week, last week. There were boundaries that were appropriate and disciplined for each of us. It wasn't the same, but it was whatever our needs were. And there was vision spoken into our life by all, all four of us, equally so by our parents. We didn't ask for that. We didn't deserve that. That was just God's favor. And it's something you can't understand. And some of you have been given that gift. And my question is, how do you leverage that favor? What are you doing with that favor? To be a blessing to somebody else. I mean, some of you, you're just, you were just born good looking. I tell you, that's favor. Your mom and dad, you know, they got the chiseled look in the face and all that sort of stuff, and man, he, he, and you think you're all that? It had nothing to do with you. <laughs> it was a gift. It's just favor. I mean, how many of you have been doing the, I've been watching you on Facebook doing the 10-year the challenge, right, the 10-year challenge, and 10 years ago and 10 years ago, everybody been doing, see, a few The church has been challenging me to do that. I said, okay, do that. So they went and found some pictures and put it up there on there. <laughs> And uh, (laughs) I'm just saying, (laughs) favor or steroids or something, I don't know. (laughs) But the point is, some of you, you have a gift, you have a talent, you have an insight. In your family, you were given something, and in your family tree, the question is, how are you going to leverage God's favor upon your life? To benefit the family and not hold it over their head. And because Joseph here starts out, he's holding it over their head. He's got this favor of being able to interpret dreams. He understands dreams and he has a dream. And the dream is, and he tells his brothers, Hey, brothers, here's a dream. We're out there in the field and we're working in the field and I'm bundling my wheat. You're bundling your wheat. My wheat's standing tall. You're bowing down to me. Anybody have a big brother who always says, oh, You're gonna bow down to me? I'm in charge. I'm controlling. That's what's happening here. And then he does it again, brings the dad in there. He says, hey, dad, brothers, I had a dream. The moon, the sun, the stars, all 11 stars, they bowed down to me. You mean the whole family's going to bow down to you? He said, exactly. That's dysfunction. Where one person thinks they're the king and the key of the whole family. And that's what he does. And the scripture says they hated him all the more. And verse 11 it says they're jealous of him. So much so he goes out to see them. And verse 18 it says in chapter 37 they plotted to kill him. In dysfunctional families people plot. They plot to keep the secret. They plot to kill the problem with nobody else knowing about it. You get over here on the side and you have these little planning meetings and blah, 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 and nobody else knows about it. It's a plot. And they plotted to the kill him, the Scripture says. On this Martin Luther King weekend, can I say something? An assassin's bullet could kill the dreamer, but it didn't kill the dream. God gave a dream to Martin Luther King that the family of God, which is so dysfunctional, would you say the neighborhood called America right now is pretty dysfunctional? Yeah. Pretty dysfunctional. He said, I have a dream when one day all God's children will be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And that dream is a well and live today And church. It's alive in this church. And I want to make a definitive statement that people in this room from all walks of life, all colors, all ethnicities, all races, all denominational backgrounds, you are welcome in this place because they're just one family, and that's the family of God, and we're it. And you're welcome here. And if you're someone in your family, and your family is dysfunctional, and you have a dream of your family getting healthy, don't you let anyone shoot down that dream, because that is God's dream for your family. But you've got to get well. You yourself have to get healthy so you can be the person your family needs you to be and stop trying to fix everything. And so Joseph here, they, they try to kill him, and one of the brothers say, no, we're going to rescue Joseph. No, no, Reuben says, no, no, we can't kill him. Verse 21, we can't kill him. No, let's just leave him for dead. And they throw him in a pit. Sometimes in families, we just leave people for dead, and we go on, and we just leave them behind. That's not family. Yes, sometimes in toxic relationships, you got to set boundaries. But in toxic Unhealthy families in your notes. Dysfunctional people just write pit people off. If someone gets in a pit, you just write them off. You just throw them away. They're no longer family. I want to make this very clear family is forever. Family is forever. And uh, they just threw Joseph away. So Joseph's in the pit. And once he was on top, now he's on the bottom, and these Midianites come along, and it says here at the very end of that chapter, they sell Joseph to the Midianites, and they take him to Egypt, and he goes into Egypt, and all of a sudden, he finds himself in Potiphar's house, and I'm seeing the time, it's 1125. Woo! So, Joseph is in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife Hits on him because she had no boundaries. She was in a dysfunctional marriage. you got to teach boundaries in your marriage. you got to talk about boundaries with your kids and sexual boundaries. Joseph resisted. She cried wolf. Resisted. She cried wolf. He gets thrown in jail. And so now Joseph is in jail. But the jail's not in him. He's over the jail. Very quickly, let me say this about healthy folks. Healthy people, even though there's dysfunction in your family, you don't let that dysfunction define you as an individual. You may be in a dysfunctional jail in your family, but you don't let that be the definition of who you are. Your identity is in who you are in Christ. And your family name does not define who you are, and the craziness does not define. It can be around you but not in you the one who is in me is in greater what's going on around me you can live in the ghetto and the ghetto not live in you you can live in a crazy family and the crazy not live in you because he who is in me is greater than what is around me that is he is before all things and in him he holds me together you got to stay focused on jesus you got to keep coming back to Jesus. And so he's in jail. He finally gets out of jail. I'm not going to tell the story how he gets out of jail. You'll read that this week. He's, now he's interpreting dreams for Pharaoh. And he interprets the dream for Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, you had this crazy dream. Here's what it means. the seven good cows, seven bad cows. Seven bad cows, seven good cows were eaten by the seven bad cows. This means for seven years you're going to have famine, and then for no for uh, a plenty, and then seven years you're going to have famine. Seven years of a lot, seven years of nothing. Favor goes, ah, okay, i got to start saving. That's what happened to dysfunctional families. You go through these cycles of feast, 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 and then you famine. You feast and you famine, and it's just kind of an up-and-down cycle. And now Joseph is overcharged of everything. The Pharaoh puts him in charge of all the savings of the wheat, and the whole region's starving. And so now the 11 brothers are back home, and they're starving to death. And the dad says, go to chapter 50. Let's finish this up. The dad says, I want you to go to Egypt because that's the only place that has food. We're all starving. And when they got to Egypt, their brother's in charge. They didn't recognize their brother because favor changes a person over time. Look what it says. Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge? What if he pays us back for all the wrongs we did? That's what dysfunctional families do. You pay everybody back for what they did to you. So they knew. That's what we did to him. That's what he'll do to us. So they sent word to Joseph. Say, hey, listen, before our dad died, he left you instructions. Here's what he said. Uh, you're to say to Joseph, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. I want to stop right there. I want every parent, please, to listen. Before you die, do everything in your power to get right. With your kids and your grandkids. And the word is forgiveness. And you do everything in your power to help them forgive each other. Because if you don't, the dysfunction will get worse after you leave this earth. It will be a gift to you if you spend the rest of your life helping your family get healthy and be right in their relationships with one another. And so that's what Joseph does. He forgives them and they say, Oh, oh, but we're your slaves. That's what dysfunctional families do. They make promises they can't deliver on. I'll do anything you ask, I'll do it all, I'll, I'll be your slave, just take me back. And how long does that last? Don't believe that. That's a dysfunctional promise nobody will ever keep. But Joseph said, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? See, that's what happens in a dysfunctional families. Somebody thinks they're God. Controlling, perfectionist, thumb on everything, protecting. But not me. I'm not God. And what God intended for good, what you intended to harm. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. And now what's going to happen is to save you the many line. Our family's going to get healthy because I'm finally healthy. So don't be afraid. I'll provide for you, and I'm going to help your children and our family get healthy. And he was kind to them, even though they were hurtful to him. Now, we're going to show you something in wrapping this thing up. It's three minutes. I will just tell you. It's a three-minute little video. And I know all your blanks did not get finished, get filled in. And that's just to test some dysfunctional people. (laughs) Sorry. We're going to show you a little clip on this Martin Luther King weekend. I hope we'll help your families as we wrap this up. Johnny Lee Cleary, who was the head of the Ku Klux Klan full of hatred in the family of God and he had an encounter with the pastor who was practicing the teachings of Jesus in a very dysfunctional relationship we'll just see what happens
1: and one day I got a phone call to appear on a radio show this radio station had the idea of setting a clan leader down with a black civil rights leader and the guy they had me lined up to debate was a guy named Reverend Wade Watts, who was a black minister, pastored a black Baptist church, and he was a friend of Dr. Martin Luther King's. And I figured he was going to come in with a great big afro this big. I figured he'd have it on an African dashiki with bones hanging around his neck and a great big button that says, I hate white people. But instead, in walks this nicely dressed black man, and he's carrying a Bible in his hand. He walks up and he puts his hand out to him. And he goes, hello, Mr. Clary. I'm Reverend Wade Watts, and I came here tonight to tell you I love you, and Jesus loves you. And he's shaking my hand, and I jerk my hand back. And I go, my gosh, I just touched a black person. Instead of him getting mad, he smiled. He goes, don't worry, Johnny, it won't come off. Finally, you know, when the debate was over, I get ready to leave, and he says, Johnny, you can't do enough to me to make me hate you. He goes, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to pray for you, whether you like it or not. And I said, but we'll see about that. And so the KKK... They started harassing him. They burned a cross across the street from his house. He walks out there with the cross burning and the clan standing right out in front of his house. And he says, did you boys bring up hamburgers and hot dogs for your barbecue? He goes, if you're thirsty, I got some iced tea. It must be awful hot around that fire. Y'all thirsty, I'll give you a glass. And they all got mad and left. I called him up on the phone. And I disguised my voice and I said, hey, boy, we're coming to see you and you better be afraid. And he goes, hello, Johnny. He goes, a man like you takes the time to call me. I am so honored. And he goes, let me do something for you. He goes, Lord Jesus, Johnny wants attention. He probably didn't get a lot of attention when he was a kid. So I want to pray for him, and I slammed the phone down. So one day, we found him in this restaurant, and this story became a legend all across the world. He comes in and sits down and ordered his food, and I walked up with a bunch of my buddies, and I said, we don't want you in here. I said, so I'm going to make you a promise. Whatever you do to that food on your plate, I'm going to do the same thing to you. And he had some chicken on the plate, so he picked up the chicken and he kissed it. (laughs) Now, when he did that, I looked up and everybody in the restaurant was laughing, including the KKK, you know. They said, sorry, boss, but that was funny. He got you there. I said, everyone, if you get outside right now, I'm going to take your sheets away from you, you know. And I never bothered him again. See, he knew that hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. See, the key to it was, is not to get down on the same level as the Ku Klux Klan. See, this man was a public figure, and he got calls from the Black Panthers, and they said, if you got problems with the KKK, let us know, and we'll come down there, and we'll kill every white person we see. He goes, oh, no, thank you. I don't want that kind of help. He goes, i got God on my side, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the love of God to win these people over.
0: Whether it's the family of God or your family somebody has got to change the pattern and not lower herself to the dysfunction of everybody else and practice the teaching of Jesus love let me know how that works for you